No one is talking about the connection between how we eat and how we feel emotionally. Thank you for joining us on Doorknob Comments, a podcast that we created to discuss all things involving mental health. We take the view that psychiatry is not just about the absence of illness, but rather the positive qualities, presence of health and strong relationships, and all the wonderful things that make life worth living. I'm Dr. Farah White. And I'm Dr. Grant Brenner. We had the opportunity to interview Uma, who does some really interesting work in the field of nutritional psychiatry, and that's a pretty rapidly emerging field. Uma is great. I know I know we know her from GAP, from the Group for mm-hmm. Advancement of Psychiatry, and she happens to be married to a, a good friend and colleague, Srini Pillay, and she's a very, I'd say, understated person. And I was really amazed to find out the work that she's been doing with nutritional psychiatry, her own story as a cancer survivor, and the fact that she's a professionally trained chef. And I had a chance to review her book, and it was incredible. And I just wanted to share her knowledge and wisdom with our listeners. Yeah, I agree. I really love the book. And Grant, I'm so grateful to you for bringing her in. The format of this episode is a little bit different because it was put together from a webinar. So I think it's really linear and organized and I think people enjoy it, I hope. Yeah, there's a lot of information in it and we've tried to make sure that's accessible. I definitely think people would benefit from getting a copy of her book, which one of the things I love about it is that there's there's a bunch of recipes at the end. Yeah, I know that was really fun and they're not too complicated, which I appreciated. So, okay, I hope everyone enjoys. Dr. Naidu, welcome. She is Michelin-starred chef David Boulay, described as the world's first triple threat in the food as medicine space. She is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist, professional chef, and nutrition specialist. Her niche work is in nutritional psychiatry, and she is regarded both nationally and internationally as a medical pioneer in this more newly recognized field of nutritional psychiatry. In her role as clinical scientist, Dr. Naidu founded and directs the first hospital-based clinical service in nutritional psychiatry in the U.S. She is director of the Nutritional and Lifestyle Psychiatry Service at Massachusetts General Hospital and director of nutritional psychiatry at the Massachusetts General Hospital Academy and serves on faculty at Harvard Medical School. Her recently published book, This Is Your Brain on Food, is excellent. Starts out with a personal story, goes through the basics of nutritional psychiatry with chapters on specific conditions, and it ends with a a wonderful section with her favorite personal recipes. Dr. White, uh, would you like to say a few words? I absolutely loved your book. I think not only fascinating uh, to read about, but just beautifully, beautifully written with a lovely warm tone. Not surprising. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the gut-brain connection and what are some of the implications for our mental health and well-being. You know, I feel like it's important in the clinical discussion. We seem to have conversations with our doctors around the family history of diabetes, you know, what we should do for high cholesterol level, but no one is talking about the connection between how we eat and how we feel emotionally. 
And I think that that has emerged in terms of the area of research around the gut microbiome. The gut and the brain, even though they're far apart in the body, are actually inextricably linked uh, from when we were formed. So the neural crest cells uh, in embryology actually divide and form both the gut and the brain. And then, uh, then these organs are connected by the 10th cranial nerve. So there's this real connection that is anatomical, physiological, biochemical. And I feel like that's important for people to understand, but it's also goes hand in hand with understanding that serotonin, as we like to, in a fun way, call it the happiness hormone, 90% or more of the serotonin receptors are in the gut. So it makes sense that if someone is prescribed a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, such as fluoxetine or Prozac or Zoloft or any one of the others, um, that they develop gastrointestinal side effects. I use that to help explain to the clients that I have that there's this real connection. If the receptors are there and your food is being digested there as well, that there's this connection that happens. And I like to call the vagus nerve the the two-way superhighway because there's this bidirectional communication that has been shown in studies. And then understanding, as I go through in in certain sections of my book, the impact of of what the gut bacteria bacteria do. And I say bacteria generically, but the truth is there's several different types of microbes within the gut, 39 trillion uh, approximately. And they're not just bacteria, they're different things. We want to keep the, those microbes in working for us and not against us. And an easy way to think about that is that when you eat, you know, you can make a choice on any given day to eat a healthier meal versus eat at a fast food restaurant. On that day, you can start to impact your gut bacteria in a positive way or in a negative way. You may not feel that immediately, but it starts to evolve. So it's a very dynamic system. And I think if it's one thing we need to understand, it's that how we eat does actually start to impact how we feel over process. So that, that is usually how I share my understanding of the gut-brain axis. And I think it's sometimes very useful for, for the clients I work with to understand it that way. Very interesting. And I think, you know, that that's definitely not something that's well known yet. And hopefully your book will will help get the word out. Absolutely right. I mean, I think that the research is ongoing, but I, and I think that there's at least enough to share what we know and um, also really pay attention to what I call body intelligence. Because when individuals come in and share with me how they're feeling after they ate something, I always pay attention. I think as psychiatrists, we always do, but uh, I pay attention with, with, you know, with a little kind of interest around, wow, why is that food making you feel that way and what's going on with it? We grow up hearing you are what you eat. And people really, I think, are disconnected in a lot of ways from our bodies, uh, you know, and especially nowadays, right, during COVID and working from home and being in video all the time, it's very easy to become disconnected from a lot of things, including the fuel we put in our bodies and, and even paying attention to how what we eat affects how we feel. I remember as a, I was a surgical resident for a couple of years and we would work two days in straight, right? We didn't eat very well as surgical residents, but I, I would not even know if I was hungry. And to this day, it's the same. I could work all day long. I don't notice when I feel hungry. You really 
have to retrain your body to sense itself. What, how do you how do you counsel clients on that? You know, I think that so many individuals have to start at with some basic pillars that I suggest, and one of them is really gut healing. It's as simple as that. It's adjusting slowly, adjusting your diet in the right direction. And number one, you know, psychologically speaking, people don't like to be told what to do. So I, I encourage people along a slow and steady plan, asking them what they will buy into and what of sort of a buffet of options will will help them decide what they can start today when they leave, you know, when they leave the consultation with me. It's really about something that has meaning to the individual that they really want to change. Because if not, they might come back a week or two weeks later and not have done anything and say, well, I try to cook a healthy meal and, you know, that doesn't work, Dr. Naidu. It's just, you know, one healthy meal doesn't do it. So I think it's about engaging what someone will do really principles that we've, we've studied, you know, meeting someone where they're at, I have to be diagnostic, you know, it, it really doesn't. If someone's on a carnivore diet or, or a paleo diet or a vegan diet, I have to figure out how to help them with their mental well-being and start the conversation there, you know, what, what they eat, what would they like to change? Then I might have a suggestion about maybe, maybe this would be better to change than that, but why don't we choose from these? In that way, um, a person starts to buy into the plan and want to change. And when they start to start to feel better or feel lighter emotionally, change starts to happen. One piece of advice that you gave that really stood out to me was the idea of just changing one thing at a time. And if you try to change something and it doesn't work, then to kind of redirect that energy and try something else. Absolutely, it's, it's you know you it's sort of you tweak it as you go along. And honestly, from when I first started doing this type of work in a more focused way, the emergence of almost a more personalized nutritional psychiatry plan for people has happened because you have individuals reacting to even healthy foods. They start to eat a healthy food and they don't feel good. So again, it it has to be tweaked and adjusted all the time until some level of gut healing is obtained. And I always work in consultation. With when I can. I, I shouldn't say always because it doesn't always happen, but I really like to work in concert with um, other specialists. Many people get referred to me from, from gastroenterologists for psychiatric issues, but as we uncover things, there might be more going on related to dysbiosis or gut imbalance. And gut healing is one of the ways where we can, we can start. And to speak to your point, Grant, some of that is almost retraining the body to sense hunger, to start healing in terms of feeding you know, the, what, the, what the microbes in the gut love and what they feed on is fiber. It's not insignificant that you start talking about a healthy salad, leafy greens. People might roll their eyes, but there are actual bacteria that get activated in a good way from the folate in certain leafy greens. The fiber in certain in fruit and vegetables, beans, nuts, seeds, legumes, healthy whole grains are what we need to have those microbes thrive. A happy gut is a happy mood. So those are some of the things we start with. People are aware of the importance of probiotics, right, with fibers. And I've seen some really interesting research, I'm sure, and you mentioned it in your book about when people switch to indigenous diets, their gut microbiome flourishes and their whole mentality changes as well. And, and it's interesting, you know, some of the studies almost assign a certain amount of so-called memory in those microbes. It's, it's really interesting. There's a real synergy, like you're saying, that inside of our bodies live these billions of organisms. And they depend on us because we are their world, but we also depend on them because they change. What are some of the things 
that you could mention for listeners that the gut microbiology affects directly? So I think that the best way to explain it through food, um, and by the way, the other important thing for us to remember, especially at a time like now with what we're facing, a very large amount of the immune system is housed in the gut. So that's another reason that our food impacts our immune system. Food and the immune system are related in many ways, but it's one of the ways. So I think that's important for people to understand as well. Let's, for example, take what happens when, when digestion happens. You start eating meals, the food starts to get broken down, different enzymes get involved, it reaches your gut. If that's a, a fast food meal laden with a certain lo- level of vegetable, processed vegetable oils, sort of I would say unhealthy fats and processing, uh, added sugars. It turns out that fast food french fries have added sugar in them to make them hyper palatable, which is why you uh, can't put them down and you always have to upsize. When these, these foods reach your gut, the balance of the bacteria start to change because those foods feed the bad guys in the gut. The bad microbes start to thrive and, and really overthrow the good microbes. And that's when you start to have inflammation in the gut set up. Now, it doesn't happen immediately. The effect starts to happen immediately. You don't feel it immediately. It really gets set up over time. And gut inflammation, things like intestinal permeability or a leaky gut, when the tight junctions, you know, basically start to leak what is in the gut. And, and that's really when, um, you know, people can, I, I, of course, we focus on the mental health aspects, but, you know, people can have skin rashes. They can have, you know, gut issues um, that they, they can't quite understand. So it's really a way to think about what you want those microbes to be doing is forming the good short-chain fatty acids, because when they set up those reactions, and when they start to form those substances, they are working for you. And ultimately, what you want to prevent is gut dysbiosis or the imbalance happening with the bad microbes overthrowing the good ones, setting up gut inflammation, which ultimately one of the ways that neuroinflammation gets set up and potentially worsening of mental health symptoms. Yeah, there's a lot of research uh, on how inflammation is not great for the brain. Um, what are some foods that people can eat that will help with depression and anxiety and and how do they help? One of the things I like people to know is that there are foods that we we need to know to avoid when we have certain conditions. Um, So it turns out that processed meats have an ingredient called nitrates, which which are used in in how these meats, processed meats are made. But nitrates, it, it turns out, drive depression. So staying away from those or switching out, you know, say a lunch meat or a snack that you're having at home is maybe a good idea and a, and a place to start. I can't say enough about sugar. I know that I'm speaking to a very highly educated audience, but, but there's actual, there are actual studies that link added sugars. Uh, so I'm not necessarily speaking to sugars and fruit, which are a healthy ingredient that, you know, healthy food that you should be eating inappropriate uh, quantities and portion control, but the added sugars are linked to depression and they drive anxiety in the wrong direction. Another one to avoid are artificial sweeteners. There's certain artificial sweeteners, unfortunately, including stevia, which I know many people turn to as a more natural alternative. And most of the time, I think in appropriate quantities, it's fine, but it worsens anxiety. So it's something to be careful of there as well. In terms of foods you can add and enjoy, just starting to incorporate pre and probiotic foods 
difference in your diet, and I'll, I'll go through more later, um, starting to embrace the color of the rainbow. Why? Because the polyphenols in a colorful plate of food, you know, think red peppers, bell peppers, zucchini, cucumbers, leafy greens, all sorts of things, the colors actually represent the phytonutrients that they contain. So whether it's the, you know, carotenoids from carrots that um, bring back healthy nutrients. And, and here's, here's something that's important is, you can eat them, but you actually need your gut bacteria to help really make the antioxidants more available to your brain. And that's something that's helpful for people to know. Um, prebiotics, probiotics, really eating healthy servings of fruit and vegetables every day, go into more specifics around that later. And then, um, you know, including healthy spices, thinking about what the healthy fats should be, a serving of avocado, uh, olive oil are good choices to, uh, to use for cooking and, and really breaking it down that way. And then there are spices that hit the high notes with good depression. For example, one is saffron and the other is turmeric uh, with a pinch of black pepper. And I say that because turmeric is, is worth having and adding to your diet because it has so many positive effects, especially in mental well-being, both anxiety and depression, just to start amongst others. It's easy to add in, um, easy to obtain in most supermarket aisles these days, including organic versions. And most, most of us keep black pepper at home. So a quarter teaspoon of turmeric with a pinch of black pepper, the purpurine activates the curcumin, which is the, in, the um, active ingredient in turmeric. That's an easy thing for someone to do. So say you don't cook with it, put it in that super smoothie or tea, and you can, you can try that you know, whenever you can, you can get it if it's something you'd like to. But that's worth incorporating, you know, then including some B vitamin rich foods and stuff like that, which I have on the slides. I know there's a lot of research, you know, on, on, on turmeric. And you mentioned in your book that in some of the studies, people take up to a thousand or 2000 milligrams a day, which I think a lot of people would be looking for a nutritional supplement. And, and you point out that you have to take it with black pepper, piperine, otherwise yes. the gut can't absorb it. it. It's quite interesting. I think, I think you also mentioned in your book that, that saffron costs more than gold by weight. Yes. So <laughs> is that still true? I know gold has so, been up recently. It's, it's true. You know, I, I, haven't looked up, I haven't looked up the markets today. <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's just this, these tiny threads, right, uh, from, uh, that are so delicately obtained from uh, the crocus of a plant. So you need a very little when you, when you cook. So think, you know, paella or um, uh, Indian biryani or a risotto. But here's the thing. I think it's one of the few times when, although, you know, I, I like to talk mostly about whole foods and whole healthy foods, um, it's, it's a supplement that you might want to speak to your doctor about because saffron has a significant amount evidence related to depression and you really uh, i'd love for you to cook with it but it's not gonna you're not gonna reach the levels that you need for it to be effective that way i also feel with food the more you can add it in the better so why not do both excellent thank you um i'd love to hear about the relationship that people have with food and their gut uh, but i'd like to ask uh, questions is there any research you know of related to intermittent fasting such as a 16 to 8 schedule and depression, or how fasting affects the microbiome? So I, I feel like I don't, um, we don't know enough about this yet. I think that if you're working with a practitioner and you, uh, they feel like you are using a diet that is helping you, you could assess to see through body intelligence how you're feeling emotionally. I don't think that the research, from what I understand and have read, is quite there yet. Um, many people are embracing different types of fasting, fasting mimicking 
diets, intermittent fasting and things like that. I think that it's very reasonable to discuss that with your physician, but I don't know of the impact yet on mood. Thank you for this insightful presentation. You mentioned supplements like saffron, turmeric, curcumin, and folate. Could you share some thoughts on ashwagandha and adaptogens? Sure. So, you know, I know that ashwagandha has uh, been used in traditional Ayurvedic medicine. It's thought to really help with anxiety. If it's something that, um, you know, why do I say speak to your physician and not just being boring about it? Um, Because there are things like grapefruit juice that uh, help, you know, why wouldn't you think that of that as a healthy ingredient? But many people on this call will know that the interaction with liver enzymes make that something we need to be thoughtful about. So when I say ashwagandha or adaptogens, you know, speak to your physician, see what his or her input is around what you're eating and how you can incorporate them. Mostly I try to find food sources and that's what I mostly share in my book. Um, are there any fruits and vegetables to avoid? The next question. I think that's a great question. So I treated someone, uh, began working with someone, I should say, a few months ago. And the uh, adult patient brought in her teenage daughter. And they happened, they came to the consult together. And they both had this the opposite reaction to the same healthy ingredients, speaking to the mostly unique microbiome. And and therefore, what I would say is that pay attention to your body intelligence. If you don't respond well to a certain fruit, pay attention to that. It may not be for you. The other thing that I like to guide people around is the glycemic index, which which I outline in the book. And, And the reason I say that is that Food are healthy. Um, having them as inappropriate servings a few times a day is a good idea. But you know, if you're struggling with your weight or side effects of a medication where you might have gained weight or that type of thing, you want to stick with lower glycemic foods such as the berry family, you know, blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, that type of thing, because they're lower in glycemic. Watermelon is a delicious food. It's also higher on the glycemic index. So I'm not saying you should stay away from it forever, but I'm saying balance that up in terms of of when you eat it and try to split up your servings during the day uh, when you eat fruity. And in terms of vegetables, it's always the the greens, the um, sulfurophanes that you get from, um, you know, things like cauliflower and broccoli and Brussels sprouts and those types of vegetables and peppers, uh, red bell peppers are one of the highest in vitamin C, it turns out. So always always a good choice. And you know, make it make it the more colorful, the better. I would say pay attention to the glycemic index. And you know, when we say vegetables, obviously potatoes are very low on that list. And uh, uh, and and you know, sweet potatoes are up there as a complex carbohydrate. But again, I would embrace uh, other vegetables first. Very good, very good. Uh, the last question is, and then we'll we'll have some more resources to share where people can go. Is are there any specific advice for people suffering from OCD and or hoarding? Now I see chapter seven in your book is obsessive compulsive disorder, NAC glycine, and the dangers of orthorexia nervosa. But any quick advice for people? And then I'd say go go buy Dr. Naidu's book and read that chapter. Thank you. So, so you know, I think that it's 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 pretty much um, outlining some things to embrace and avoid. And 
I think that while everyone's condition is unique and, and it depends on the severity of OCD, you know, sometimes treatment for OCD can be um, quite lengthy and it depends on how severe it is, how they're coping, what their level of functioning is. But there are certainly foods that you can use to, to help and foods that you should avoid for, um, for that condition. Um, and, and we go into a significant amount of, uh, I'm just aware of the time, a significant amount of detail on that. There was just one last question about how long people can expect it to take, you know, before they see some changes. Sure. I think that's a great question. Um, you know, I've had people within three days to a week start to feel better. Uh, and it's tough to know is that the actual food versus embracing a healthy habit change, feeling good about making that move in their life, or is it the actual food? Um, so I've had people really start to feel better within about three days of embracing a healthier diet for up to three weeks. I think that if you're really starting to build a plan where you embrace healthy eating habits along the way, I would say at least three weeks to a month to really start to see good effects. And, you know, consistency is key. Okay, great. Well, thank you so, so much for being here. We're so grateful um, for you to share your, your time and expertise. But where can we find you online? Thanks. Please, please follow us on social. We're always trying to put out information and uh, share fun facts. It's at Dr. Uma Naidu, which is at dr. U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O. And my website uh, where you can get the book and find other fun stuff is umanaidumd.com, U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O-M-D.com. And if you are interested in the book, it's available um, in different formats, audio, Kindle, or major retailers. Eat well and be well. (laughs) Thank you. One disclaimer, this podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of psychiatry or any type of medicine. It's not a substitute for professional and individual treatment services, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. If you feel that you may be in crisis, please don't delay in securing mental health treatment.